0: If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know uh, that we've been working our way through uh, the the letter that Paul sent to a church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, and trying to make sense of it for ourselves as uh, followers of Jesus, trying to understand and hear the the things that Paul wrote to those Christians at that time. And uh, we were asking ourselves, well, how might that be appropriate or relevant for ourselves? Last week um, we looked at the big story of the Bible that Paul reflected on, about the way that things were created good, but actually sin came in and independence, this desire for independence, and skewed everything. We looked at how that changed often our experience of sex, our experience of relationships, and our experience of work, and how those three areas of life become skewed because of sin, and how Jesus comes to actually restore and redeem and make right again and cause us to live in that uh, that light. And in a sense, the logical place that Paul goes next is the place we're going to pick up on. Because having looked at the beginning, the creation, and the fall, where did things go wrong, how did we end in this mess? And Jesus, who comes to redeem the mess, the obvious place is... Where's it all going? How will it all end? What's the goal of this? And the part that we're going to read of this letter, as Paul's coming to the end of his letter, is in chapter 4, verse 11, and he's looking at the future. He's really uh, outlining for the Thessalonians, some of whom are really struggling with their faith, and basically what he is saying is this. Life is not always going to be like it is today. That God has a plan and a purpose, not just for your personal life, but actually he's got a plan and purpose for the world. And that he will bring it about. And uh, we're going to pick it up here. One of the things that uh, was a a bit of a conundrum for, for these Thessalonians, a bit of a struggle for them to understand, was in their church... I think none of them expected that they would die. They all expected that Jesus would return within their lifetime. But people were beginning to die. And the big question, or one of the first questions they were kind of coming to Paul with, was to say, if you die, do you lose out? Is that it? Have you missed your moment? And Paul wants to write about, how do you make sense of your future and the future? So if you've got a Bible and uh, you want to read along with me, then I'm in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 13, and we're going to read halfway through the next chapter. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. All right, so he's kind of using that metaphor. So that you don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they won't escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let's not be like others who are asleep, but let's be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let's be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Some of you might remember um, this film. It was out many years ago now called The Truman Show, and you might have watched it. it was, this was a film that was made and released long before Big Brother was ever dreamt of as a TV program. That's kind of interesting actually, because the premise of the Truman Show was this, that there was a man living what he thought was an ordinary life, but what he wasn't told was that it was a bigger life offset. And if you remember the film, if you've seen the film, it's a very simple outline that this guy thinks he's living a full life and then suddenly he realizes that there's a door, that if he goes through that door, there's the full life to lead there. And that's how the film ends with uh, Jim Carrey, going through the door and recognising there's such a bigger life to lead. I think as an image of what it means to be a Christian, the Truman Show does a good job. All that you see around here, all that you experience, all the relationships you're in, all that you do, all that you hope for, there is so much more. And when you know, when you come to know Jesus, one of the things that Jesus does is he alerts you to the fact that all you can touch, see, taste and, and be around here, that's not it. There's more, so much more. That's why for the early Christians, one of the things that they came back to time and time again, was that when when one of our own die, we do we grieve, but we don't grieve as though that's it. Because actually there's a bigger, bigger reality, there's a bigger truth, there's a bigger situation and a scene to be aware of. And Paul begins writing to these people in this place in Thessalonica, say. We don't want you to grieve like the rest. Because they have no hope. Mary does a lot of funerals. I don't do hardly anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, the best thing I've heard this morning is, he doesn't do anything, but it does help. I'm, I'm just going to take that as a whole, I'm going to make a career out of it. <laughs> I know exactly, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think what I mean is, I'm going to make a career out of it and tell nobody that that's my career, that, and it's just that the truth's been told today, that's the difficulty. Yeah, thank you. it's okay mate, I'm... it's okay may you're going to angle it, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Marriage is a lot of funerals, and, I, and, and I, I, I don't do many, but I've done a few, of course, of course. And do you know it's really difficult to do funerals for people who are sitting there, who are hard in their hearts, and they say, this is it. It's hard, because actually, what can you give? What hope can you offer? If everybody in the room is going, no, well. The best you've got is to look back and go, well, we had a good few years. We had a good few years. But for those who belong to Jesus, the New Testament is really clear. You will face the pain, and the people in the room who still struggle with that, you face the pain of loss, but you do not grieve in the same way. Why? Well, he bases it all on... This in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe and then the rest unfolds. Jesus came and died and rose again, not simply to give you a better life here, not simply to make you feel more at ease here. Jesus came and in dying took all the rubbish and the sin of the world upon himself, and he smashed through death. He took on death itself and said the thing that uh, the world, the, the thing that the creation at the moment experienced, Jesus says, is that death is the end, that the death is the biggest power. And it's almost like Jesus, in death, takes on death and breaks it and says, see, you can't hold me. That's why... The pictures of Easter, and we'll get to Easter very shortly, of course. The pictures of Easter are full of this graphic representation of what happens when Jesus died. In the temple where people came to worship God, there was a bit that was really the Holy of Holies. It was separated by this massive, really, really thick curtain. And Matthew says, when Jesus died, that curtain was split. It was torn from top to bottom, And no hands did that. It was like, what a miracle. It must have been frightening for people watching. But the temple was open. God is there for you and me. But of course, the other thing is, what do the Romans do? They take a dead body and they say, we have, we are frightened. We are frightened. The people will come and they'll try and steal his body. So we're going to put his body behind in a cave. We're going to put a big stone in front and we're going to put a seal on it. We're going to put two soldiers outside it to guard this tomb. This body's going nowhere. And two women turn up on Sunday morning and the stones rolled away. And in a brilliant, brilliant picture you have angels sitting on the stone. It's kind of like, I think it's supposed to make you smile. It's kind of like, who did this? Huh, There's nothing. The stone is rolled away. And Jesus is alive. You're really, if you doubt from time to time, you're really not unusual. <laughs> That's really helpful for some of you to hear. Because some of you doubt and you think you're the only person that doubts. You think you're a rubbish Christian because you doubt. Let me tell you this. I think the resurrection of Jesus is, is the big deal. And from time to time, you and I will go, are you sure? And 2,000 years, the Christian church has said, yeah, we've really examined this. We're sure. Paul is so sure that he's of the opinion. And remember, he's, he's around at the same time as these people who've seen the resurrection. He's of the opinion. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, listen, folks, doesn't matter how good the worship was this morning, we're wasting our time. The resurrection breaks open the future. In fact, the resurrection means that another world is possible, that God hasn't finished with this world. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples are looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, "'Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to the sky?' This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Because death has been smashed, Jesus is going to return. Another world is possible. Because we pray together, don't we? May your kingdom come. And one day, that will be answered fully. Another world is possible. And Paul writes to these Christians, and he says to them, don't worry about those who've died. But more than that, don't forget what God's going to do with the whole of planet Earth. It's not always going to just roll on like it does today. Verse 15, we tell you that we who are alive, We won't precede those who have fallen asleep because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, what you've got to keep on in your mind trying to work out is Paul is using picture language. But he's using picture language that has got a deep history in the Old Testament. And when God comes to his people in the Old Testament and gives the law or calls his people together and speaks to them, he comes and there's trumpets that sound, and there's noise, and there's voice, and you know God's here. <coughs> and Paul says, when Jesus comes back again, it will be exactly the same. <laughs> Don't be too literal about it all. You know, well, how will you hear a trumpet if it happens in Jerusalem, What people here in Manchester and all that sort of stuff? You're getting yourself tied up in too many literal stuff here. You've got the picture that God comes, that God breaks back into planet Earth and goes, this has always been mine. My purpose has always been continuing, but now it is being finalized. God hasn't finished his project. The Lord will come. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then in verse 17, he says, after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will be with the Lord forever. Now, again, I think what Paul's doing is using a picture, but this picture is, and I thought this might be the easiest way to t- explain it, is like this. Now, this was the, probably the final time that Manchester United did anything of any worth. <laughs> Last year, when they were the champions yes okay technicality um, <laughs> last year when they when they won the Premier League they come back into the city to demonstrate that they're the champions to bring the cup and everything else and the interesting thing is uh, forgive the exaggeration but you will know where I'm going the city comes out to meet them okay They Manchester United are coming home but the city come out to greet them. Because actually for a few people, probably most of those people to be fair, have come up on the train from London. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for these people, these are our heroes. The team is back. And and if I don't want to I don't want to push this too far, but and for If you're a supporter of Manchester United, the world is as it should be. But it's that idea of the city comes out to greet the victory parade. And what Paul is, and that was very common, by the way, in the first century. If an emperor or a king came to your city, then the whole city would go out to meet the king and walk back in with him or the emperor. Now, can you hear? After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with him forever. And the idea is that Jesus is coming back, and it's this brilliant picture that we who are the first fruits, we who've been worshippers, will be caught up in the welcoming party for Jesus to come, and we will be with him. Not because he's taken us out of the world, but because he has come to the world. Those of you that know the Bible a little better, do you remember how it ends in the Revelation? That in that, when, when the new Jerusalem comes down, when heaven comes to earth, you won't have a son, because God will be the son. And the big deal is this. God will be with his people. Again, if you know it really well, way back in Genesis, way back in the first stories of the garden. Do you remember when Adam and Eve, when um, they, they ate of the forbidden fruit and they realized that they're naked and so they hide? And, and God's in the garden saying, where are you? Because we've been designed, we were designed from the beginning to live in absolute open relationship with God. And it all gets messed. But actually the long-term hope is that Jesus will come back again. And he will be with us. Well, you hear this sort of stuff. And um, some Christians, they spend a lot of time trying to work out a timetable now. (laughs) They sort of like to get their diaries out. (laughs) And they work out how they're going to get everything involved, done. And some Christians in over the 2,000 years, of course, some people have really gone overboard on this and they said, let's take to the hills. Let's remove ourselves. And so Paul, as the rest of the New Testament says, he says, because the next question that if you're following this and you really are following it, you want to know when's that going to happen? We'd love to know. Some of you had stopped paying your credit card bill. (laughs) We'd love to know. And Paul says, the same as Jesus said, you won't know. It's not for you to know. About the times and about the dates, you know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows when the thief in the night is going to come by definition. It will happen unexpectedly. The other image that they use is of labor pains. Now it's interesting because actually... That uh, labour pains are not quite as unexpected as a thief in the night, are they? I speak as one who, you know, clearly yes. is just an onlooker, <laughs> but there's normally a hint. And I think, actually, interestingly, pregnancy is one of the images that's used quite a lot. It's kind of like we sense something's happening, we just don't know when. It'll happen unexpectedly. But then he said, but it won't be unexpected for you because you worship. It's not unexpected for you because, and he, he uses this sort of language. He says, don't be like everybody else. Be awake and be sober. And uh, being awake perhaps is obvious what he means. He says, stay alert. Don't, Don't zone out of your relationship with God. But the drunkenness is an interesting um, an interesting sort of analogy because he's saying you know what it's like if you get drunk? It's like everything becomes blurry and actually lots of people get drunk to leave this situation I'm in. Let me just get away from it for a bit so I'll just drink because when I drink I feel easier about the situation I find myself in. <coughs> and what drink does, if you, as you get drunk, what drink does is it just suppresses all your alertness? That's why you can't drive when you're drinking. Because <coughs> you, you you cannot stay alert. And Paul writes to these people, and he says, Don't be like that. Stay alert, stay awake, stay sober. Practice faith and love. Put on faith and love as your breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. Like this idea, your mind is the place where the enemy will attack you. And the enemy of your soul, the devil, when he attacks you, one of the things he wants to say to you is, you're not really, God doesn't really love you. You're not really special to him. God is not on your side. Just do the best you can without reference to him. And the salvation... The hope of salvation, which is your helmet, is the thing that guards your mind, that says, actually, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And I know this sounds remarkably simplistic, but there's some days when actually some of you and I need to remind myself and you need to remind yourself you're a child of God. That when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you and he loves you. <laughs> And he's for you. And Paul ends in verse 18 of chapter 4 and verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Did you watch um, Davina McCall this week on the news? Davina McCall is the woman who's been doing stuff for sport relief, bless her. (laughs) And she's done triathlon. She swam across Windermere. I think she floated, but the last bit, they dragged her out. Um, she ran a marathon. She cycled. She cycled on Wednesday when the gales were on. And uh, she was on TV at various news bulletins and she was crying. And uh, two things. She said, The thing that's kept me going are the, the people who support me, who run with me. And she said, and the other thing that supported me is, my children keep reminding me that I'm, I'm going home. She said, that's what's kept me going. This is how you encourage one another, folks. You run alongside. As a marathon runner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who has experience with marathons. Um, Hey, you know how it is when you think you're on your own. You know how much easier it is when you think there's other people running with you. You know how it is when you think you're the only person on God's earth who's trying to keep going. And you know how it is when there's other people around you saying, listen folks, it's okay. Others have done this trick, trick before. You can do this. This is what we are for. So this is my encouragement to you as I finish. Number one, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I talk to people who are not Christians and people who are Christians, and sometimes it's really interesting because both parties can actually live as though God's not really involved in their life anymore. I'm not interested in what you call yourself. I'm interested about be reconciled to God. Don't shut yourself out from his love open up again and accept the salvation and the forgiveness and do it now. You don't have tomorrow. It's the old truth. You don't have tomorrow. You've got today. Be reconciled to God today. Secondly, follow Jesus. (laughs) Put on faith and love and hope and continue to work and to live for him. One of the interesting things about this idea that Jesus will come again is that in periods in the church history it's, it's come really much more urgently for some people. When the Pentecostal church first began they really had such a heightened sense that maybe this, they were going to be the last generation. Maybe Jesus was going to come again. And what that meant for some of them was they gave up everything they were involved with and they said, we'll go wherever God sends us because actually if Jesus is coming again, that's the only thing that matters. Now, they were wrong about the time, but they were absolutely right about the motivation. <coughs> if we believe that Jesus is coming again, or if we believe that if we die, we are with the Lord, we cannot lose. So make good decisions on the basis that God's more important than your own comfort or your own future. And work, because you will be rewarded. Paul wrote to a small church in Thessalonica, who were concerned whether it was all worthwhile, really. And he said to them, listen, Jesus is coming again. For those of you that don't make that, you'll be with the Lord. There is nothing to lose here but everything to gain. This world is God's world. He's not giving up on it. He will come back again. We're going to pray together. The guys are going to come back and uh, they'll lead us through communion. Communion is a good place where you can uh, recommit your own desire to follow Jesus. At communion, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and he took the cup and he said, this is my blood and it's given for you. And it's really easy because what we'll do is we'll, we'll get up out of our seats and we'll walk down the aisle. And it's easy to lose the moment of what you're doing because you're meeting people that you really like. And it's, it's good that you come together. And it's good that you recognize that we're part of a, a team of people who are wanting to encourage one another. But actually there's a moment where you've got to remind yourself this body, this bread, and this cup is being offered to you, and the invitation is, will you take it? And if you do, you commit yourself to the story that God has for you. If you do, you commit yourself to the salvation that God offers you. If you do, you commit yourself to the grace that is yours. Be reconciled to God. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Lord, we have a longing for home. Lord, we have a longing for home because we recognize that things around here are not right. Lord, we have a longing for righteousness and for justice. We have a longing that you would put things right. We have a longing that you would step back into your own creation in such a way that all things would be judged, that the things that are right would be rewarded, that the things that go against your creation would be dealt with finally. Lord, we want you to come. And Lord, as the early church prayed, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Lord, we would pray, may you come quickly and fulfill this part of the process that we might know you and live with you forever. Lord, thank you that one day all things will be in you. All things will be under your feet. One day all things will be put right. But Lord, today we choose to serve you. Lord, I want to pray for those of us who are struggling to be reconciled. Lord, that we would put ourselves in a place where we are reconciled to you. That we would surrender to you. Lord, may we be saved. Lord, we pray for those of us who are working and we want to work out your purposes in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Lord, will you help us to live out that faith, hope, and love that Paul kept talking about all the time. And Lord, as we take communion, may we know the hope of salvation that covers our heads, that our minds, that reminds us that we are yours. Lord God, come by your Spirit and me as this morning.